2: Last night we let the liquor talk can't remember everything we said but you said it all you said how you wish i was somebody you never met but baby baby something's telling me this ain't over yet last night Kissed your lips, had your grippin' sheets with your fingertips. Last bottle of jack we split the fish. Just talking about life going sip for sip. And you, you know you love to fight.
3: Do do we see what's being done? Do we hear what's being done here? I I'm wondering. So last night has been the number one song in the country for 15 weeks this year. It is a country song by Morgan Wallen who has, you know, the word problematic is getting overused here. I have to think of another way of describing Morgan Wallen. But he comes into this whole thing with some baggage, you know, including use of the N-word and uh, in the early stages of COVID, I think he was partying so hard Saturday Night Live, canceled him as a musical guest and stuff. But anyway, the song, which is a blackout song, it's like a, you know, song about getting so drunk you only have vague memories of what you did last night. The song's called "Last Night," um, you know, and people are struggling with it a little bit for a bunch of different reasons, including their own ambivalence about all country music, which is a topic I am hoping our show will retackle soon. But, um, but anyway, that's uh, the famous uh, postmodern jukebox group repurposing it as kind of a like a what a kind of a Bobby Caldwell type soul tune. Um, all right, so uh, what are we going to do here? We're we are going to do <laughs> If I sound like I'm just kind of refreshing my own memory about what we're going to do here, I'm a little fuzzy today, a little foggy today, and I think it's probably just brain eating bacteria from an improperly chlorinated swimming pool, but there's the other possibility I'm just really tired, um, and and that that tracks also. But I'm going to go with the brain eating bacteria, Uh, anyway, our number if you want to call up. Did I just, like, open that line there by mistake or something? Is that why that line's open? Oh, I just have to do something about that. So, meanwhile, here's somebody else calling up. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. If I were a pilot, they wouldn't let me take off right now. I mean, there must be some check that they run through. Like, do you know what this instrument is? <laughs> do you know what happens when you pull back on that? I hope they just ask the pilots some basic questions so that they could establish, you know, that they're, that they're fully present cognitively. Uh, anyway, here we go. We are going to talk first to William, William of Middletown. Hi, William. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thanks. Um,
1: after hearing your opening, I'm thinking to myself, my concern is so minor compared to what's happening in the world today, but I was listening to your show on the short story the other day and, um, I kept waiting for you to address the, um, the, the short story genre that is, um, well, let me back up. I started collecting rare books about 40 years ago and about 10 years ago, I shifted my focus to Victorian ghost stories. And I started reading, um, people like M.R. James, Sheridan, and, um, going on up into more modern times, um, to people who who write what came to be known as weird fiction. But I was thinking as you were talking about the different types of short story that you left that whole genre out. And it's a really important uh, segment of the short story um, uh, uh, sector. And um, I have gotten to the point where it's about all I read these days, and a lot of them mer- are very rare and first edition old books, but I love them. So anyway, I just felt I had to get that in. Well, I'm,
3: I- I'm glad you got it off your chest. Just to sort of um, clue people in a little bit. So yeah, we did, uh, based on, triggered by an essay by Rebecca Mackay, who, who, who wrote a Substack essay saying... People, I bet you haven't read a short story in a really long time. People don't read short stories anymore. Here's why they should. Uh, she offered about five reasons. Our senior producer, Lily Tyson, read that. And we've had Rebecca on the show before. She thought, this is great. We'll do that. And then we tried to do a show that would somehow or other mirror uh, the style of short stories or the form of short stories. So instead of three segments, we did five little segments. And we talked to George Saunders and Amy Bloom and the fiction editor of The New Yorker and... We had two of our uh, regular nose panelists analyze a short story that had been in The New Yorker. And yeah, and we talked to Rebecca, of course. So that was the show. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the main reason we left that out, the thing that you're talking about, is <laughs> no idea that it exists. And I think the other yeah. problem is there are so many different no, sub, substrata. We could have done romance short stories. We could have done this. We could have done that. But But it's interesting to hear that. I think just in general, because you seem like a very nice person and I care about nice people, you might want to like step away from this for a couple of weeks to try reading some other stuff. I'm a little worried that that's all you read anymore.
1: Um, you know? Well, well I, I'm exaggerating. I do read other stuff, it's, right. but it's the, one of the things I enjoy most.
3: Yeah, it sounds fascinating, and uh, yeah. I will endeavor to know more about it because that's exactly— Oh, I wanted to say one other thing based on the first words out of your mouth. The, the, if, I, if it were not an unwieldy title, I would call these episodes— Things, calls about things that are minor compared to the bigger problems of the world. Uh, I don't think you should apologize for that. Uh, I think the entire purpose of this particular style uh, of, uh, of our show, these Ask or Tell Me Anythings, uh, is to open the floodgates to things that are minor compared to the larger problems of the world. So nobody calling in here today, and the number, by the way, is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. You know, it's like reading something before. I was sort of brushing up on something before (laughs) I went on the air. And Cat Pastor was in the most adorable way trying to remind me that the show is starting in 30 seconds. Uh, And I just sort of wasn't looking up. I think that was kind of worrying you a little bit. Uh, But anyway, I'm here. I'm fully present. Uh, We are going to go to another call about something that is indubitably— minor compared to the larger problems of the world, and therefore is in its proper place by being a phone call to this show. Once again, our numbers today 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. We are now talking to Mary from Kent. Hi, Mary. Hi, this is Mary Kent. I'm Mary Williams. Oh, okay. That's complicated. I'm calling from Kent, Connecticut,
4: and I'm just calling to say that I enjoy the Colin McEnroe show, especially because of the host, Jesse Thorne.
3: That's a pretty good impersonation of the person who does that that promo.
4: Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, The reason why I can do such a great impersonation is because I've heard it so many times.
0: We need to switch
4: things up <laughs> right we do we, we actually
3: do make an effort to freshen up the promos and, and switch things up and you know the problem with our with the, the promos like that one is that because they kind of stand out I mean they're not like another promo um, they're not a generic promo they're not just like here's what we do on this show you remember them more. So after you've heard them four times it's starting to bother you a little bit. I mean in a way I think we get punished for being a little bit more daring and original about how we conceive of promos because they they'll burn out faster. We've talked about that among ourselves, but it's a good reminder, you know, yeah. we need to kind of rotate the rotate them out again.
4: One point that I know you need to do it is you need to um every single time I I call it it, it redoes the hmm.
3: promos. Yeah All right. well, uh, look, we you know we don't use that one a lot. and, and I actually think that one one was kind of a good high concept promo and and I'm not even sure who that person is. <laughs> I mean, I know cats on that promo and then there's a male voice that I think only cat knows the identity of. Uh, and, and I like that promo a lot, so I'm not getting rid of it, but you know and I don't think we're running it that much, but who knows? Uh, All right, here comes somebody, and I should say that you can call uh, this show about issues that are minor compared to the larger problems of the world, but you could also call about something that's, you know, not minor. I think, Larry, I I feel as though this is not a minor issue. Uh, And here's Larry from Bethel. You now have the floor. Larry. Well, I
5: have a potential headline, Mr. Sinners. Repent. And uh, that could be spelled R-E-P-E-N-C-E.
3: I see. So you, you took the liberty of writing a headline for your own phone call to a radio show, and at that, a, a headline that depends on visual recognition of the pun that's in the headline
5: well i I was thinking it could be used as a headline in a in a future article that may appear.
3: All right, and you'd be getting residuals, and you know obviously this <laughs> this is this is good good financial planning. So what is it you'd like to say about Mr. Uh, former Vice President Pence?
5: well it, it's actually about Mr. Sinners, Mr. Robert Sinners, who was uh, uh a Trump campaign local director of election day operations. Mm -hmm. He's the one who emailed 16 fake electors, directing them to quietly meet in the Capitol building in Atlanta the next day. I'm reading from a New York Times article.
3: So he's a target Um, in the Fannie Wills um, um, investigation, the RICO case that's probably going to be unveiled in a week or two,
5: right? Probably. Um, Anyway, uh, the Times article also states in his testimony this is referring to mr sinners i I was caught by his his name that is
3: uh, you know we did a whole show about nominative determinism you know where your name says something about who you turn out to be uh so your name is david bird and you turn out to be an ornithologist i I think mr sinners may be i mean i think the jury's out probably almost literally the jury's out about mr sinners i don't want to We don't want to pronounce uh, on his fate until, you know, the system considers him, weighs his heart like a god of the underworld in Egyptian mythology, and, and then we'll know. But I see where you're headed, and I think Mr. Sinners may be headed there, too.
5: And this line really, really got me. In his testimony to House investigators, Mr. Sinners later reflected on what took place.
3: Quote, I felt ashamed, unquote. Well, there's something that's already a level of, of philosophical and moral evolution that a lot of people haven't attained. I do want to say one thing kind of, sim- kind of serious here, which is, and I think this is a piece by Henry Olson in the Washington Post maybe a week ago, but I think it's a point worth making so we don't get too, uh, too polarized here. Olson, if that's who wrote it, makes the point, and I think it's a really true one, you know who saved america in 2021 was republicans republicans saved america in 2021 mike pence refused to do what he was being pressured to do election officials like brad raffensperger and his deputy gabe sperling or sterling or whatever his name is in georgia and their counterparts republican counterparts in places like michigan and arizona wouldn't do this thing a bevy uh, of of, uh, of trump appointed judges Uh, refused to make bizarre rulings in Trump's favor as he pursued 60 different cases uh, in the courts trying to overturn uh, an essentially legitimate election, Uh, a lot of Republicans stepped up I mean, God knows, and I would add Brian Kemp in Georgia to that, too, and Brian Kemp is Mm -hmm. no Jacob Javits Republican, you know? I mean, he's like (laughs) pretty hardcore, but a lot of Republicans wouldn't do the wrong thing. Now, I mean, a lot of Republicans would, and I I hear from those Republicans, the local version of those Republicans, pretty regularly, but, you know, I think that's important to say. The only way that we're going to have a functioning republic is both sides of this highly- polarized electorate agreed to some basic core principles, and one of them is count the votes uh, and then certify the election in favor of the person who got the most votes state by state. Uh, and, and the fact that a lot of Republicans defied Trump, it, it shouldn't ever go unnoticed, and Pence is among them. I mean, whatever else you think about him in other contexts, you know, Pence yeah. refused to do the wrong thing. And we, we should, you know, we should salute that, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, so on we go. I would say one more quickly thing, quick thing about Georgia, because it is on the horizon. As I understand, and I'm kind of, kind of an expert in Georgia criminal law, um, and, <laughs> but as I understand, so the, Georgia has its own RICO statute, uh, which is you know an organized crime uh, statute, and my understanding of the way that they handle these cases in Georgia. And if so, this is going to be a lot of fun to watch in a mean way. I'm now, I just was being expansive, you know, and bipartisan and possibly bipolar in a very polarized environment. Um, now I'm going to be mean. <laughs> so if I understand the way they do these cases in Georgia, these RICO cases, what you do is you get a lot of defendants, you get at least 12, and then you, and you charge them all as if they are all going to be. You know, part of the trial. And then you just kind of flip people <laughs> one by one until there's only two or three defendants left. You know, So there might be 12 at the beginning, but like by the end, it's going to be Trump and Giuliani and maybe Eastman or something. Uh, and everybody else will have cut a deal. Because one thing that I've been told time and again by former prosecutors, both federal and state, is that the toughest people in the world... The people who you know who look like you just couldn't break them, you get them in the room, you tell them they're facing jail time, and they will turn their grandmother in. They will turn anybody in. So, um, if in fact that is the way that Fannie Willis uh, pursues per, pursues this case in Georgia, I mean, you know, you'll be able to see that happen—not literally—but you'll feel it as a disturbance in the force. There'll be a slight ripple, and suddenly, Obi Wan. Or Yoda will look up and go, hmm,
5: flipped, another
3: defendant has in Georgia, Mm." (laughs) hmm. That's that's actually my impersonation of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is one of the reasons I'm not a more successful impersonator. Uh, All right, so let's go to the phones here, 888-720-WNPR. We have so many people wanting to talk about so many interesting things. Actually, not that many people. Uh, There's room for you if you call right now. Nancy in Litchfield, you have the floor. More short stories, huh?
4: Yes, I wanted to thank you for your short story program. Back in April of 2020, during the beginning of COVID, my four, the four sisters and our husbands who live across the country from California to Boston started reading, doing a Zoom short story every Friday. And we have continued to do it for over 200 stories every Friday. We have learned so much And of course, we started with George Saunders, started with Love Letters, a story he had written in The New Yorker and have done, Murakami, Sam Shepard, Hemingway, Doris Lessing. And your show gave us a whole group of other ones to start talking about. And we love it.
3: Wow, that's really impressive. So, I mean, you just already just mentioned some pretty interesting names. I don't know. Do one or two stories stand out as just they got everybody excited?
4: Oh, well, Murakami is yeah. fascinating. His stories are so off the wall. And George Saunders. But then you go and do Raymond Carver, and, uh, you know, you get a whole different perspective. And Alice Munro, unfortunately, they're a little long for us to do. And we just started doing William Trevor, who none of us had really ever read before. Um, and his short stories are fascinating. Oh, and uh, not even going to remember... Uh, Willa Cather, Baldwin, and any others that... You, well, well you guys,
3: I mean, I salute you. Well, yeah, Chekhov obviously is, you know, widely considered exactly. maybe the master. Yeah. But um, I just, I salute you for the whole project. And also, you really covered the waterfront, too. You didn't kind of just, you know, I think a lot of people go, well, let's read some Cheever or something, which which is fine. But, yeah, you really went all over the place. And that's great. Uh, I, you You... You're lucky to have so many good co-conspirators in this particular uh, activity. Well,
4: you you added to us by giving right. us uh, and anybody who gets to interview George Saunders and we get to listen to it. He has the most incredible sense of humor yeah. and. It's just delightful
3: you know what I know what you know what I noticed about George Saunders is I mean he's kind of a big cheese right in this world uh, and even maybe even beyond this world he's really a mensch I mean you really get that feeling even he is, I, absolutely I, you know I didn't yeah. I didn't uh, I don't know what got on the air because we pre-taped the interview and I think Lily had to cut it a little bit but like even at the beginning I don't know you can just sort of tell I, I can tell I've been doing this for so long. I can usually kind of tell whether I'm dealing with a nice person. Um, and he just, this guy, he is not drunk on his, you know, he's not using his own product. He's not drunk on, on his own press. There's some metaphor I'm looking for, some idiom I'm not thinking no, of. But you nice, know what I'm saying. He's
4: a nice guy. Yeah. He is just so self-efficient. He just. He likes writing and he likes talking to people yeah. about it, so they're uh, they're fascinating. Yeah, you just but feel like if I, you
3: know you were sitting next to him on a plane, you know, and you started talking to him, oh, he wouldn't go. Look, I got to read this book. Leave me alone. Yeah, uh, he would just yeah. chat along with you. already, I, I got to go. But this uh, this is a wonderful sure. thing, a wonderful thing that you're doing. Okay, we got John and we got Lucy. I'm gonna woo, let's do both of them and then we'll take a late break. Okay, so hopefully nobody will be super verbose here. Here's Lucy from Bloomfield. Hi, Lucy. Hi, how were you today? I am just fine, but a little foggy.
2: Good. Well, I, mean, I am too, except
3: for the brain-eating bacteria. I'm fine.
2: No, it's the heat for me. Okay. At any rate, I have an, another piece of minutia to add to the pile of things that are uh, little um, compared to what's going on today. Right. Uh, um, it's about grammar. I'm not. I'm not really. Um, well-schooled in grammar, but I do know when I hear something that's really wrong. Um, And that is more and more today. First of all, I should say, I understand that language changes and Mm -hmm. grows, but I am hearing this sort of statement. The house belongs to John and I. Mm. Um, And people will I hear it on television, I hear it on radio. I don't think I've ever seen it written because written things are usually proofread. <laughs> well, they were
3: in the good old days. Not so yeah. much anymore. And certainly the fact the, the fact that people write constantly yeah. online on social media has actually I think eroded written English and written language in general because now you have people who are not they're not only not proofread, they often you know, have rabies or something, and they're still right. writing. So, right. um, so yeah, I mean, just to straighten everybody out about that, that would be I, the pronoun I in that case is the object of a, of a verb, of a transitive verb, uh, so it should be John and me. The house belongs to John and me. Actually, it's the object of a preposition. Excuse me. The house belongs to John and me, uh, and, but it's an objective case, so it has to be me. Now, there is an interesting exception, at least in the in the area of verbs, and that would be so-called state of being verbs. Um, so I mean, the correct way to say this would be the villain is I, the villain is she, uh, because his is a state of being verbs and the state of being verbs somewhere up in heaven, Mr. Lou Friedman is going to smile now, uh, are B is M or was, were, been appear, become, feel, look, seem, sound, smell, taste, grow, remain, stay. That's like the only thing I still know, like at all of all of the world's knowledge. I know all the state of being verbs, but thank you for giving me. <laughs> me a, a somewhat forced opportunity to demonstrate that fact all right quick conversation with john from cromwell then we'll take a break we'll have lots of open lines on the other side of that break but here is john john hi. Uh, uh, i
5: i love your show um and and a while back you did a uh, uh a show on time travel and and i could not believe that the movie predestination never even got a mention it is the greatest time travel story ever. And uh, the only reason that I could think of that it didn't get mentioned is almost anything you say about it that's not the title is, is like a spoiler. And, and the, I'm really into time travel stories because I'm a time traveler. So far, I have traveled 70 years into the future.
3: I see what you did there. Well, I would guess. I first of all, I've never heard of this movie until just this very second. But you gotta uh, watch it. Well, I mean, I get that feeling from you anyway. It seems to me that there might be time. It might be time for a fresh look uh, at this particular movie, which came out in. Let's see here. Came out in 2014. It's an Australian science fiction, uh, science fiction action thriller film. You know, and who doesn't love a really good Australian science fiction action thriller film? I mean, they're like the best. But anyway, one person who's in it who looks like she might have the, you know, the female lead would be the Australian actor Sarah Snook. And things that have Sarah Snook in them are very interesting to people these days. So, that alone might, you know, might cause me to say, "Well, I wonder what she was like before she was Shiv." Uh, and uh, so I will look at, look at it based on that alone. All right. Well, John, uh, continue with your travel through time. Uh, I, I think you got another great 30 years ahead of you. Uh, and so I'll talk to you in the future, uh, either the near or far distant future. But thank you for calling today. Our number – we're going to take a break right now. Our number is 888-720-WNPR, seven two zero nine six seven seven. You can call about things that are small compared to the bigger problems in the world.
0: Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be sure that
6: your umbrella is upside down. Feet on the ground, take a breath. And move your head, look around. Nothing is going to hurt you. Shake it down. Let's begin. Ooh, and
3: I play in the music for these Ask or Tell Me Anything shows. And one of the things that I do is I say to myself, myself, I say, you have brain-eating bacteria. No, I (laughs) I say, I want to hear something that doesn't sound like everything else. And it also sounds cheerful and fun. Like, it makes me think, oh, this is a fun show. I think I'll call 888-720-WNPR and see if that's the right number. I'm just guessing. 888-720-9677. I think I'll call that. It could be the number for the show. It is, by the way. But it's, you know, it's actually kind of hard to find something that doesn't sound like it. This is a uh, artist from the Netherlands. You know, it's kind of a cheerful, happy song, but it also kind of doesn't really, and I know it's just a lot of, you know songifying you know vocal f- effects going on in there but it kind of sounded different and I liked it and so that's why you're hearing it right now I have a rationale for many of the things I do I mean 80% of my life completely irrational uh, but yeah <laughs> I just want to <laughs> see sometimes I look at the board and the and the topics that are there <laughs> so here are the four topics that are on the board right now once mounted police back Another grammar thing, rabbits don't like carrots and Jacques Cousteau. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the distillation of what ask or tell me anything, also known as things that small things I forget how it's, I forget the whole trope now things that are small compared to the bigger problems of the world. Uh, But anyway, that's the distillation of what we're hoping to do here. There's just no doubt in my mind, I have to go to the rabbits don't like carrots thing. Not only because it's funny, but I actually agree with it. Anyway, Chris from Bristol, you, in fact, are on the airwaves. Hi. Hi. Uh,
7: Yeah, I talk about this with everybody that is willing to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rabbits don't like carrots, you know. They're not going to eat them in the wild. It would give them diabetes if you fed them to them all the time and make them sick. They don't dig them up and eat them. It's a root. It's a complete myth. And yet you go to any country in the world, you're probably going to find a baby toy with a rabbit and a carrot.
3: Do you think Bugs Bunny started the whole thing, or was there a pre-Bugs trope that Bugs Bunny well, and Warner Brothers were just buying into?
7: It was two years before that, right? It was 1934.
3: The- <laughs> I like how you just said, right. Like, I like I would know that. It was just two years before that, right? Like, it was 19- right. th- anyway, <laughs> <continue>. <laughs> 1934. Anyway, continue. 1934. It happened
7: one night. Clark Gable. It got nominated ah. for what? Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, everything. everything. So yeah. everybody knew this movie. If you watch that movie, Colin, Mm. you will see in that movie that Clark Gable is on the side of the road and he is talking while chewing on a carrot. And when you watch that clip, you're like, oh, my God, it's Bugs Bunny. All right. So he does this. Everybody knows it. everybody knows this movie at the time. So then two years later, 1936, Mel Blanc creates Bugs Bunny. And Mm. the first time you see him, he goes, what's up, doc? First of all, that phrase, what's up, doc, was in that movie for the first time ever. And there's a character
3: in that movie named Bugs. So. Oh, the but you have, the you know, a lot of people call up this show and they kind of know what they're, you really know what you're talking about here. I oh, mean, yeah. this is really <laughs> impressive. I'm sure people back away that. from you at barbecues uh, at a certain yeah. point, but I like I this. Mean, I try to make sure I got the fence between them so they can't back up too much, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, actually, another thing about It Happened One Night, there's a scene where, uh, where Clark Abel and Claudette Colbert, they cro is, is it Claudette Colbert? Colbert, is it? I think it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they cross a, a road, and just for a moment, the camera lingers on the road, and a roadrunner goes by, chased by a coyote on roller skates, motorized roller skates. Uh, yeah. And so that that also got that thing going too. So there's a lot, you know, it happened one night has <laughs> a lot to answer for. But yes, I right. I've had the same experience. So we have rabbits running all over where we live, um, and and so and you know I like animals and stuff, and I would uh, like. Every once in a while, you know, you like cutting up the carrots, and there's still kind of a little, the little butt end of the carrot, you know. Right. So I would like toss it out the door. Here, here, rabbits, here, rabbits, you know. And I see rabbits running all over the place, and I also see that carrot sitting out there the next day. And after this process repeated itself oh seventy five times, I started to get the message they don't like carrots, they don't want the carrots. I don't know about the diabetes part because if you put out a heath bar, you know, they'll eat everything, they'll eat the wrapper, and then they'll be you know pounding like zombies at your door <laughs> uh,
4: but you know
3: they don't want, they don't like carrots i think I think there's a special destiny for you. I mean, I really feel as though you're the you're the person. Who is appointed to come to Earth and spread this message. And, and I, I, I feel to whatever degree I've been a vessel. I am proud. Good, I'm glad. I am very proud.
7: Uh, it's kind of terrifying if you think about it. I mean, everybody got the joke at the time, but nowadays nobody knows who Clark Gable is. Nobody gets the joke. And that's like a terrifying game of telephone where in this case it's not that big of a deal, but like that could be information that could be much more important. And the general populace has no idea that they're duped.
3: Right. Well, I mean, yes, this is a whole area of life. I'm going to uh, say goodbye and thank you. But this is a whole area of life that the show is very interested in, too. Sort of pieces of knowledge that fall away um, and, and connective tissue of knowledge that falls away. And we also do a show occasionally about uh, an episode about mesofacts. Mesofacts are things that change. You know, you sort of thought dinosaurs look one way. And that's how you think about dinosaurs for the rest of your life, even though it turns out dinosaurs didn't look anything like that. That's the most common example. But we're really interested in mesofacts, things where the the knowledge actually changes. I mean, rabbits and carrots doesn't really – that doesn't really fit into that. But I like the idea that, <laughs> that it comes from a Clark Gable movie and people have forgotten everything about that movie. Um, and I have another version of that. If there were going to be a lot of time for me today, I was going to bring it up. But I don't think there will be So, because people have a lot of things they want to talk about, including – Adrienne from West Hartford, you are on the air.
6: Uh, thank you, Colin. So I, I think that um, bringing back m- mounted policemen into cities, especially into troubled neighborhoods, would be a very calming uh, mode of policing. And obviously you couldn't get all policemen up on, on, on horses, but having a few in, the, in in a troubled neighborhood would probably make... The denizens of the neighborhood even feel somewhat more sympathetic to the unmounted police.
3: I think it's an interesting idea. Let me just mention several things. You know, one thing because we get a lot of grammar people calling up today, it's technically a misnomer. The the policeman isn't mounted, the horse is mounted. The house horse is mounted by the policeman. Um so but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay. But it's, okay. So um but so the the problem, I think your idea is a very nice one and I think it, it has some real advantages. There are other reasons why mounted police exists. Um they um they give the officer um, a better view of the surroundings. In other words, you can see farther because you're, you're up high uh, and mm-hmm. you can move from one place to another rel- relatively quickly. They were used all over the world. I believe Australia, which by the way, I don't know if you know this, is the place where the movie Predestination was made. Um, Australia is the place that has the longest continuously operating mounted police operation. It's not Canada, it's Australia. Uh, how, how I just know these things. Uh, it was in the movie. Sarah Snook plays a mounted policewoman in the movie. But um, but here's the problem, and I, I'm, I'm not casting asparagus on your idea, I promise. But um, <laughs> the authoritarian regimes like them for crowd control. You know, I mean, if you're—and by the way, it's not just horses. Uh, if you go to parts of the Middle East, there are the mounted police who are on camels. But, you know, if you want to, like, you know, charge at a crowd— you know, who are demonstrating in the Arab Spring for freedom or Black Lives Matter here or something like that. Horses horses with police persons on them are sometimes used in an authoritarian fashion. There's a dark side to it, is all I'm saying, which doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. The force has a dark side, and we use the force.
6: Well, I mean, better horses than, than, than snarling dogs, right?
3: Yeah. Well, yes. Well, I don't know. I, I'll take a... I'll take being bitten over, being trampled by a horse, I think, if I if I have to make that rather bleak choice. But anyway, I see your point. There is something nice about the whole idea, and it could have a calming effect in troubled neighborhoods. Um, so, But I feel like, the, you know, we just have to sort of say it, it's at best a 60-40 thing. Uh, Alright, let's see. i got to keep going here. Here we go with Linda in Wallingford. Another grammar thing. Hi,
6: Linda. Hi. Um, you know what? I turned... Okay, you're, 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 you're off now. <laughs> okay. I just want to say I, I really enjoy your show, especially because I see you as definitely a wordsmith. I like to think I am as well. I have a really big gripe about grammar, though, um, because I'm an oldie, and, you know, in school we were taught good grammar, and it's not taught anymore. I, I know that for a fact, I'm, I was, I just, I'm a newly retired teacher. The thing that bothers me the most, and you hear with even newscasters do it, who should be exemplifying our good grammar because people watch them all the time is when people say things like me and Sam went to the store.
3: Right. Which is the it's obverse it's, of the thing the other person, Lucy was calling up about. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. That can't be but the only so, problem, the objective versus subjective cases. It
6: but, is so constant today, yeah. though. It is, it is constant. I, all my teacher friends do, they're all young, young women and they all do the same thing. They all say that all the time. tries drives me out of my mind.
3: Well, um, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I sort of feel like what people say when they're talking is in a different category, and people have always taken great liberties with speech while they're talking. And I think we, you know, I just Try not to let it bother you so much because you will continue to be bothered. I mean, the problem is not going to fix itself or be fixed by anyone. So the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to get more and more vexed, like the the still vexed Bermuthies in The Tempest. All right. So we have to uh, move on here. I'm thinking, I don't know what you're thinking, Cat Pastor. I'm thinking maybe we should take our break here. What do you you say about that? She's uh, made a gesture of compliance or at least, you know, mild agreement. So we'll take a break. But let me just say, Mary is all ready to talk about Jacques Cousteau, and who doesn't love that? Susan is a driving issue, an issue about your driving, not hers. And there's more to talk about as well as we go. 888-720-WNPR.
4: This is tonight, runner at light, forget
0: the morning, this is tonight, it's the partaking of the door split few weeks and I couldn't work it. Keep it simple, keep the same crowd. We're on the inside. I'm the one
3: now. Oh, we're back, we're back. <laughs> um, so we're back and it's time to say thank you. I <laughs> was lost in thought, actually. <clears throat> I was sitting here alone with just me and my brain-eating bacteria in this world we never made. Uh, all right. So the technical producer of today's show is Cat Pastor. And the producer of this episode, the person screening calls and telling me facts occasionally, uh, is Jonathan McPants. Uh, we're about to take a phone call from Mary. Uh, and the number is 888-720-WNPR. You can hear me orienting myself right now. 888 720 9677, and we have lots of open lines. I actually have also some soliloquies that I could do if if people don't call. But, um, and I'm thinking about renaming, I think maybe we need to rebrand the show. I mean, ask or tell me anything is fine, but it could be a mounted camel that we have ridden as far as it can go. And like in Lawrence of Arabia, as in Lawrence of Arabia, I know there are grammar people listening. As in Lawrence of Arabia, maybe the camel's about to collapse into the dust of the desert, and I think this could be called, speaking of classic movies, and let's see what McPants thinks about this, The Hill of Beans Show. Because the theme, the running theme of today's show is that people's, people, people can call up about things that are not important compared to the bigger problems of the world. And if you think about that line from Casablanca, you know, the problems of three little people. I can't do Bogart. I just I don't have it. But the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Except on this show, your problems are guaranteed to amount to a hill of beans. Perhaps not more, not more, and not even a very big hill. In fact, we might start assigning actual sizes to your own particular hill of beans. Let's try this. When Mary calls up, Mary uh, of Collinsville is here to talk about Jacques Cousteau, about whom I haven't really thought that much recently, but she clearly has. Molly, you have the floor.
8: Thank you. So Jacques Cousteau, for those who are much younger than us and don't remember or never knew, was the oceanographer, a really cool guy, and his, his idea uh, what to do about problematic teenagers who are disgruntled and don't want to be with their parents. And this is a worldwide phenomenon was to gather them on research vessels from all different countries and have them work together to do uh, research, oceanography research. And um, my daughter was pretty happy at home, but Mm -hmm. he still thought it would have been really, really cool if she got together with these people from all over to do research. And his point, other than it was an interesting way to get people to do what he wanted to do, was that once they went back to their home countries, they would be less likely to want to go to war with the cool people that they met on the ship from other places that maybe their country wanted to go to war with. So he thought it would have a dual purpose.
3: Yeah, I mean, except for that one year where one of his interns was E.D. I mean, I think it worked out fine. You know, I, I think it's, <laughs> um, you're gonna get a bad intern now and then we've had the problem too. But um, no, I think it's a lovely idea. And uh, and it's it's good that you, I'm going to award you, I'm gonna say that your call and your idea is a medium-sized hill of beans, which is respectable. It's a respectable thing. You, 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 I think you, you understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is a, you know, a decent-sized hill of beans that you've called up about about Jacques Cousteau. Where can I fetch it? Well, you don't actually get a hill of beans. We have to work that out wow. with the promotions people. Uh, call... I'd be careful
4: with that because I was all excited.
3: I know, I know. Well like so many of my promises, <laughs> this one is an empty one. Um, but all right, so here's, that was Molly from Collinsville, who just won a medium-sized hill of beans, which she can claim in the parking lot <laughs> of 1046 Asylum Avenue uh, at her leisure. Um, and if you don't get your hill of beans, call Lauren Kamroski, who is like the somebody very important here. Um, seems like maybe a person who would be in charge of this, <laughs> if this were anything. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we have another call here. It's Susan. Susan from Groton. Hi, Susan. Hey, Colin. You sound like you're on the road, and you actually have a motoring call for us.
0: I do have a motoring call. I am wondering when... And why people started driving their cars in the passing lane instead of in the traveling lane.
3: Well, don't they drive their cars in both lanes?
0: Yeah, but it used to be that you would travel in the slow lane if you were driving slowly. You would travel in the traveling lane or the middle lane if you were just driving normal speed or a little above the speed limit. And then the passing lane was relegated for passers. Right, and now we get passers, so we get people driving their cars in the the passing lane or the fast lane at sixty five miles an hour.
3: Right. So and well, I and yes. I want
0: to get beyond them.
3: That would be good to get beyond them. Of course, they're trying to get beyond you. That's the reason they're driving so fast, but um, and why they're weaving through traffic. So yeah, I mean the the reason people do it. Sometimes the pe- people do it because the person in the lane to the left of them is driving so slowly. And if there's only two lanes, you either are going to go 46 miles an hour on the interstate or you're gonna pass in the other lane. And I sort of find that kind of forgivable. I mean, if it's getting ridiculous. But in a three lane situation like the one you just described, here's the problem. The person, let's call the person that you're talking about, Let's identify that person for evidentiary uh, purposes in our speaking indictment is the jerk face. So the jerk face wants to go 75 miles an hour. Um, There's somebody in the middle lane who's going about 55 miles an hour and somebody in the far left lane who's going about 65 miles an hour. The jerk face wants to go 75 miles an hour, sees that the far right-hand lane is open. There's nobody using it for any purpose whatsoever and thinks, that's where I can go 75 miles an hour. I can't do it in the left lane, the so-called passing lane, (laughs) because there's somebody there who doesn't want to go as fast as I want to. I'm not apologizing for this behavior. I'm not rationalizing it. Uh, I'm not normalizing it. I'm just telling you that's why it happens. Right.
0: Well, I think I think you misunderstood.
3: All right, I I frequently do.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm in the middle lane. Yes. And I'm traveling at say sixty. Okay. And I want to get I want to pass the person in front of me. Right. They're not driving. Yes. Uh, So I want to go over to the left lane to pass and go and go back to the middle lane. Right. But I go over to the left lane to pass, and the person there is sitting. At sixty miles an hour, yes, and they won't—they're not going to
3: budge. Right,
0: they're traveling in the passing lane. Right, that's what annoys me.
3: Oh, so you—that's what you—you you don't like. I see what you mean. I thought you meant that pe- yeah. you were wondering why people pass on the far right, um, but you're saying why are—why don't those people just use the passing lane? The way it was designed for for people who momentarily want to pass, but then will want to, re- you know, will resume their. I don't think anybody understands that at all. And I think if they did understand it, they wouldn't care. People on the roads are monsters. They're horrible, monstrous, crazy people. You're imagining a society, an ideal society that doesn't exist, right? This is a you know, the society of people on interstate highways, is a complete dystopia. It is a br- failed state. <laughs> so you're asking me sort of a question about why a failed state isn't better at parliamentary procedure. And I my, I think my answer is it just never is going to be, right? But it was. It was. Well there was once a time. Yeah, every failed state was a working state. They don't start failed. <laughs> They they start as working democracies or something, uh, and then some crazy guy in mirrored sunglasses takes over and or or something or there's a junta and I guess that's the same thing. Um, And you know anyway, I think that's the answer. I'm I can't give you hope. I don't think we're going back. You know eventually.
0: Well, you'll get a jet back
3: eventually. Well, I don't know. Give up is just the wrong. You have to just sort of accept the fact that not everybody that you're dealing with on an interstate. Even believes in the set of rules that you're describing. I think you're describing the rules quite accurately, but you're describing a utopia, and we don't live in a utopia. We don't even live in you know a mildly sub utopia. We live (laughs) we live basically in the Road Warrior movie. You know there are guys named Humongous. You know driving around with you know spikes sticking out of their cars and stuff like that, and we just want to. You know, get the oil out of the settlement, or whatever happens in that movie. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Susan, you, I think you're an admirable person. Uh, I I think you. Um, I, if people, everybody was like you, things would be better. And but everybody is not, which is why things are not better. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're coming to the end of another magical. Oh, oh, how many beans? What size beans is that? I think she she could have like because. Because of her spirit, I like her spunk. I like spunk. (laughs) Because of her spunk, I'm going to give her a slightly bigger hill of beans than Molly got. I'm going to say it's a upper medium-sized hill of beans. And once again, these beans can be claimed at your leisure at 1049 or something, Asylum (laughs) Avenue. If you come here, there won't be any beans. I just want to be clear about that. And if you have the security guard call me, I won't be here. Somebody else will have to deal with this problem. So, so don't come and get your beans. But anyway, you did you did win some beans, but they're putative beans; they don't really really exist. I thought at some point today, because I'm quite eager to have a conversation about how to cut sandwiches, because it turns out one of my friends from college is actually the kind of person who, like, even at like a drive-in where you order through a window, will explain that he wants his sandwich cut in the diagonal. And I think there are, there's, you know, he's, I'm persuaded that there's a real rationale for this. But I also think about, like, what does the person <laughs> on the other side of the drive-in window think? Really? Really? It matters that much that I have to cut the sandwich a certain way? Anyway, that's a an whole other hill of beans, as we might say. We're going to say goodbye instead right now. Thanks to Kat. Thanks to Pants. Thanks to you.